from the Film Society of Lincoln Center, you're listening to The Close-Up. My entire high school sinking into the sea is a unique animated film from graphic novelist turned filmmaker Dash Shaw. Featuring the voice talents of Jason Schwartzman, Lena Dunham, Reggie Watts, and more, the film is about friends overcoming their differences and having each other's backs in times of crisis. And ultimately about how, no matter your age, part of you never outgrows high school, for better or for worse. My entire high school sinking into the sea had its U.S. premiere in the 54th New York Film Festival last fall, and it opens in select theaters this weekend. On the occasion of its premiere at NYFF, writer-director Dash Shaw, lead animator Jane Samborski, and producer Kyle Martin joined us for one of our free NYFF Live Talks, which are sponsored by HBO. The conversation was moderated by IndieWire's Eric Cohn. Let's go to that now. So let's start with the obvious, Dash. Um, This is your first feature as a writer-director, but uh, you uh, have a background in comic books. Uh, So explain the transition, the decision to to make an animated feature and and, uh, how you made that leap. Um, uh, Yeah, I always liked a particular kind of animation that comes from comics. Like, I, I call it limited animation, like an example is um, the Astro Boy. So there, like, Tezuka was a comic artist and he wanted to compete with um, Disney, but the Japanese television companies didn't give him that much money, so he invented a kind of a a way of of making animation while limiting the drawings because he didn't have the budget to do, like, a full squash and stretch style cartoon. And that, uh, I think, thought there was something like a particular beauty to that limited form. Like um, the Charlie Brown Christmas special is another example where it originates in comics and then it's a comic, or it's an animated version of this comic, but you don't have to know, I don't think you have to know about the comic to really, to appreciate it as cinema. Um, And so I had done a comic short story uh, that had this title and it was like seven pages long and the uh, original um, spark of that story was, was that when I was a teenager, there were two kind of schools of comics. There was the alternative autobio, most 99% autobio comics, like Chester Brown and Seth and all these people after Crumb. And then there was like the mainstream boys' adventure stories. And so the, the, pre- the joke premise of this comic was to have a character with my name and it, but but he's clearly delusional and living through like this boys' adventure fantasy comic, and I th- and um, so then when I thought I want to participate in um, this limited animation uh, world or kind of like branch off the animation tree, I saw that that short story could do. If I brought it over into animation, it could do a lot of interesting things that it could do, um, that it kind of related to Hollywood movies or disaster, like explosion movies, but also like DIY independent cinema and how it's drawn and looks, and also kind of like experimental cinema and its color. And um, so uh, the, the, it wasn't just to make a movie, it was like I really wanted to participate in um, a a very kind of specific kind of animation. And so, Jane, you're lead animator on the film, but you're also Dash's wife, so obviously you were pretty close to him during this uh, transition, as it were. Uh, Was he being completely pretentious, assuming that he could make that jump into the animation field, or what did you make of sort of the steps involved in getting there? That is an excellent question. Um, I would say that... There was never any pretension there. Um, Dash Dash went into it very cautiously. I think he knew that there were things that he could do and could not do. And part of the reason that this story was chosen was because there is a lot of um, of, of just dialogue between characters. And he says, "Yes, I can. I can do that. I can do close-ups with facial expressions and write funny dialogue." And and he. Uh, 
he's a wonderful director in that he brought in where he didn't wasn't sure how to do things. Uh, he brought in other artists who had experience with those things. It seemed like the most doable story. Which I think is it's interesting to note that this came out of sort of the frustration of uh, ruined cast, sort of where like Dash and Jane were trying to get a different film made that, and and I think you got to the point where it was just like forget trying to get big name actors to sign on board to get the budget to green light the thing. Like, we can just go in our kitchen and draw the movie. Yeah, like when you said, like, enter the animation field, it was kind of, I don't think we ever thought we were entering the animation field. It was more like, let's can we draw this, this thing? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know? let's just there was, start. There was no, um, uh, you know, it wasn't, it didn't go through a studio or anything. Right, so how many artists were involved ultimately in, in the finished product? Uh, I would say that most of the present time uh, animation is just Dash and I, and then uh, there's maybe five or six other artists doing backgrounds or flashback sequences. Yeah, a little, like everything that you saw up there just now was Jane and I, and, and um, Curtis did the liquid light effects. Uh, in that, that we're in so, that very last shot, yeah. yeah. So liquid light effects, that's a term some people may understand more than others, but it's one of many different things you were throwing around here. The way that you talk about it is this very organic process of you just start making the thing in your kitchen, but let's get into some of the specifics there. I mean, what did you use really to layer the different facets of the animation here? Because even though that one scene looks that one way, there are other scenes of the movie that look completely different, you know, watercolor paintings of all different sorts and things like that. Um, well, we're working with the program After Effects, which is a wonderfully uh, powerful program. Um, and it was always our goal to try and maintain as much as possible, like a, to, do every, to do things that we could do in traditional like 2D film camera animation. So like while we are doing multiplane and using the, um, the 3D engine within After Effects, we, we really made a major effort to keep it um, in the 2D space. Um, uh, um, like uh, you said, you said there's a lot of different looks in the movie and that's true, but um, it's all like, it would just be a different painting scanned in. Yeah, you know, every so. single piece is a, a physical object made by an artist that exists in the real world. There's virtually nothing in the film that's purely digital. The goal, the goal was to replicate um, traditional animation just using a scanner instead of a multi-plane Disney camera. You know, like, um, like even like that, like it was compiled in, but those liquid light effects, like those come from things that I would see in like Ralph Bakshi movies or 60s, 70s kind of stonery animated movies. Um, so what you're saying is, I mean, the conventional Disney camera, for those who don't know, is like this giant thing looking down on a frame, and what you were doing was just taking those frames and putting them in a scanner, one yeah, after like another. Yeah, like foreground, background layer. So there would be elements that you would hand draw and then p paint or color in, right? And then that stuff would get scanned and then moved around digitally, right? Is that? Yeah, that's, that is correct. So there's no line, I mean, yeah. Was your kitchen just completely covered in, in watercolor paintings for a couple years there? Uh, it would have days where it was like that, but then I would put them all away. <laughs> I'm a little... How, how long did the overall animation process take, would you say? I think we were doing drawings and paintings for a little over three years. Which is significantly longer than the traditional indie narrative <laughs> tends to shoot, um, well, <laughs> which is an understatement. The script was written in 2010, and then it was like boarded in like 2011 then we had a, maybe 70% of the movie drawn before the actors came on in like 2014. And then it was in the, you know, another, it was a... Uh, it was a six year journey. Um, but Kyle, to bring you more into this, why don't you talk a little bit about when you entered that process and coming from a more kind of traditional producer background, you know, what were some of the challenges of getting the right people on board this project and making it clear what these guys were working on. Well, well I, I came on board around that 2014 time where, you know, Dash, um, I got an email from Dash and he's like, hey, I've got this movie, it's about 80, 75% drawn. Um, I just need to find some actors to do the voices so we can make the mouths move and then we'll be done. And so, um, which was incredibly exciting to me that because that seemed like the easy part. And in many ways, like my job as a producer was 
very simple. Like they had done all of the legwork. They had made the movie and getting actors to stand in front of a microphone in the studio is like super, that's fairly easy. That's an easy like production thing. So there was a rough cut of this movie with what, just your voices in it? Or what did it look like before the actors got involved? It wasn't really assembled. I mean, they, they had, you had the, the scenes drawn and sort of scanned and maybe assembled I, scene by scene. I had scene. made a demo too yeah, that we had put together that didn't have voices in it. It did have voices. There was, the, the, there was like a teaser reel that, that we showed actors. I tried to hide. There was no... Uh, um, <laughs> the world's not supposed to know about that one. Well, no, I tried to pick little, like someone says, uh... Saltwater some or something, you know. Oh, yeah, saltwater. <laughs> the composer said something. But yeah, there, we didn't have it. I didn't know how to record anything. Yeah. But, it, 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 but anyway, it was, it was fairly easy because Dash... Uh, that was is also a very well-known and sort of successful comic book graphic novel writer and so and has fans and is known in that world semi-successful or whatever you know um relatively successful so it was um so we had this movie that was vir dash had this movie that was virtually completed um he had a, a really funny script that was just like it was just so easy to read and fun to read and had this kind of like teasery thing that we could show people and had fans out in the in the sort of industry so uh, like Jason Schwartzman and Lena Dunham like knew Dash's work and 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 we all had relationships with them from previous projects and so that was just like an a semi easy kind of call like hey we're doing this thing do you want to be involved and it was a bit of an easy ask it's like we need you for an hour in a recording studio it wasn't like we need you for six weeks we need to block out your schedule and uh, and they were game. They were super game. They just like wanted to. I mean, they dug Dash and they knew the sense of humor and. So even for somebody like Jason Schwartzman, who's voicing the lead character, it was really just an hour of voice work for the, the whole movie. Uh, he was more. I mean, but it wasn't a lot. It was like 18 hours cumulatively. Right. Because usually when you hear about studio, I mean, it's like at least you know they're they're putting in a couple weeks. You know. Yeah, like... I don't know what they're doing. Or I, I mean. <laughs> We would have days that would kind of, we'd go through this script many times and, and then, then we would have like other characters in the script. Like, oh, Reggie, you wanna play the, the newscaster? Okay. You know, he'd just do a bunch of different characters. And then would you have to go back and sort of rejiggle things in the animation to make those, to make those yeah. kind of changes? Yeah, everything, I mean, and they would come up with their own things, of, of course, and then we'd redraw things and, and put it into the movie. And to say that we had set, had it 70% done before the actors, um, there were no mouths moving and there were no facial expressions changing. Um, so all of that is influenced by the wonderful work that we got from our cast. And what were some of the challenges of working with these different artists? I mean, it's one thing to kind of have your own specific vision for this, but to bring people in who have their own aesthetic, their own way of working, their own pace, I mean, how did, how did you sort of coordinate with them to make sure you were getting what you needed at the, at the end of the day? Yeah, um, uh, something that I really liked about, the, about Ralph Bakshi movies is that I could tell that he cast the artist like he cast actors, where he knew kind of what Mike Pluge drew like, and so we'll have him draw the flashback sequence in Wizards. And it'll look different than the rest of the movie, but it'll be like, it then becomes part of the aesthetic of the movie, you know? And uh, as opposed to like hiring, like having a style guide and then hiring a bunch of people to try to draw like style guide. And, and the Bakshi method in my mind is more respectful of these people as individual artists. And then also it's gonna be a collaborative process anyway, so, so why not like hire, you know, have someone do what they like to do or what you feel their skills are being applied to a specific part. So like I knew um, one, one example is Frank Santoro is a great kind of unusual comic artist and he was a landscape painter. And I always thought it would be super cool to see um, a painting that by him in an animated movie because no animated movie would have a painting like that in it. Um, so I'll ask him to do the exterior, the main kind of exterior, the ocean waves and, and um, specific things. Uh, so it was all like that, like try to cast these people I knew their work from alternative comics to incorporate them into the movie. 
and sort of a curator in a way. Yeah, and then and then the movie becomes uh, it become that becomes the look of the movie is these the the collage like look. Yeah, it's it's very interesting also because I mean you mentioned Ralph Bakshi and I, one of the things that I think about when I see those movies is that. That they, they don't make it easy for you at first and you sort of, with time, you get used to the look of the movie and the, and the world that they're building up. And I, I got that sense with this one too. I mean, the movie opens with a seizure warning, but it's also got characters who, you know, move with jiggly lines. You're not trying to make everything, you know, easy to look at at first, but then, you know, with time, you kind of just get used to it. So how much of that were you guys talking about? You know, how people were going to watch this how to keep up a certain consistency with that world? Um, I think that I think that was really just things that I liked. Like, um, I mean, the seizure warning. It's true. There's a lot of like dizzying effects in the movie, and so it's real. But it's also there's a famous Pokemon episode that that and and so I thought that was like a dangerous cartoon, you know. And I thought uh, that it would make sense to put it put it in here. Um, and then uh, oh, so nobody made you uh, put that there. This was this was more. Well, we kind of talked about it. I was pushing for it though. <laughs> I yeah, 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 yeah. More than anyone else. Yeah. And then when we had Mick, uh, Mickey Duget, who does a lot of the that the the titles are hand lettered because he's trained as a sign painter. Like that warning, it's all handmade. It's not and like a font. People look at it and think it's com done on the computer, but he's really trained as a sign painter and he knew how to do it. And so once he drew it, then I thought we have to use it because he'd worked so hard figuring out the, how to write warning, you know? Um, but the, uh, you know, uh, another kind of, uh, I always liked it when the cartoon, messed up cartoons, like the, um, uh, in, in, a, in a comic, because it's like Frozen, there's the, the differences between the characters kind of really stand out. Like you notice when a drawing is off model. But in animation, the drawings are flying past you in time. And so when things are off model, I thought it added a real genuine energy to it. Like there's a, a cartoon called Fist of the North Star. And, and it came from trying to interpret um, uh, illustrative drawing into animation, you know? Like another example would be like John, the first Johnny Quest episode. So they, they drew in a, uh, like a hatchy illustrative style, which is difficult to translate into drawing, because, in, into animation, because you have to draw it a million times. So when someone would move their arm, there would be flickering lines of different ways of hatching um, a muscle. And as a, when I saw that as a kid, I thought it was the coolest. Because, because I, under, you know, I understand what's happening in the scene, that this guy is punching this other guy, but there was also this other abstract story. There's the literal story of what's happening and then also like the story of abstract lines and changing shapes and color. Um, so maybe the, uh, what, what it could be considered abrasiveness is something I thought was exciting and I liked it and um, was shooting for it. I mean, I really go out of my way and, and this movie to people's facial expressions flicker out. Um, yeah, car cheap, cheap cartoon, um, I, messed up cartoons. Yeah, um, I think it, it also um, is true of the colors. I Dash does all of the black and white line drawings in the film, but um, I'm responsible for a lot of like the, the crazy color sequences and it's just, I, it is abrasive, but it's also like invigorating to see something that just out there, and um, we wanted to take those risks. I thought it. I, I think it's to uh, come to what you like. Like, so I saw I saw a shorts program at a different at a different festival, and I was surprised to how all the shorts looked very like professionally shot. You know, they all looked like they had like real professional DPs, like they were trying to get gigs in mo in like real movies. And I thought this, this is like the place to show like some other thing. I, you know. So you revel in sort of the imperfectionism in, in a certain way. I've I've heard other animators talk this way. Bill Plimpton and, and Don Hartswell, people who really do spend their time kind of working with their own resources. So it does it does seem consistent with that approach. 
know, when you I was just disappointed. I was kind of disappointed in that program. I thought this would be the one place to see like some messed up thing, and I didn't get to see it. It looked like it was tryouts for uh, for how what everything else looks like. Well, I mean, it's, it's also it's, it's kind of amusing because on on some level, you know, it's it's great to hear you talk about that kind of freedom. On the other hand, it creates a certain kind of practical challenge because we never know what's going to come out of that laboratory approach. So, Kyle, were there ever moments where, as a producer, you had to do that kind of come back to reality talk and say, hey, we can't do this crazy thing? Or no, like no, that? no way. I mean, I think we were all on board. I mean, I think everyone that was working on the film, a big part of that was because there was that sort of gonzo element to what Dash and his sensibility was all about. Like, we wanted kind of more of that in a way. Uh, and. and just like, in fact, like the beginning is actually, I think, the part of the movie that, that you guys worked the most on because it, it seemed very early on, like when we were showing rough cuts and, and works in progress, it was hard to kind of nail the tone at the beginning or at least like let people know right away what kind of movie it was because there are, there's different mediums, there's like, there's paint, there's crayon, there's colored pencil, there's ink. And so um, it took a long time to just kind of get that sequence right, like up until the kids actually go in the school. For anybody who's seen it, there's like that whole bus ride kind of sequence with the credits and everything. And it felt like that was actually like a tricky thing. That was the hardest thing to nail, where it was really a little bit more like, maybe we have to like throw in a joke just to let people know that there's like a subversive kind of tonal thing going on here. There's some scary stuff we might have to sprinkle in a little bit. At least so they don't, I, well, you know. Well, it also is also, I mean, because it's also, it's, it's an animated movie about high school children, but it's not, this, it's not a children's movie, and there was a way, there was definitely a, a way to begin the movie that could have been, like, wrong, or sort of sent the wrong message about who the audience was, or, like, what was going to happen at the end of the ride, and I think that was, I don't know, I feel like, if anything, that was, like, the part where most of our notes were about, is just really about, like, Setting uh, up for the craziness. Yeah, setting, yeah, yeah, just kind of planting some seeds about like what the tone and the aesthetic was going to be like, which is to say, which was a broad spectrum, which was like yeah, a heart, yeah. yeah, just like make sure people know that there's a lot of kind of crazy stuff that might happen, and it's supposed to be fun and playful and like enjoyable and silly. Um, How much did you guys keep tweaking that? I mean, were you closing your eyes to go to bed at night and seeing different images from the movie and having the inspiration to update different kinds of Scenes. I mean, it seems like there, there's such a loose approach that you really could kind of be inventive in that respect. Absolutely. Um, we were making changes and adding things and revising all the way up until the last possible minute. Um, some of the last things that went in, um, Pat talked about revising that beginning segment. Um, for those of you, you who have seen the film, um, the locker room scene with the ghosts was a very late addition. Um, because we wanted to bring in some of the more mixed media pieces in, into the early part of the film. And um, some of the psychedelic sequences near the end, uh, both with Dash drowning yeah. and with the flowers, are also very late uh, revisions to find those final images. It was definitely the thing. I mean, I feel like if we didn't have a deadline, you would have perpetually kept drawing and painting. Right? I mean, it was just like, it only, I think it, it would have gone on endlessly until someone said, OK, we have to show the movie now, Dash. So what was that deadline? Toronto. <laughs> oh, Jane's child. <laughs> that, that's a no, pretty I'd key deadline. <laughs> Jane put her foot down, down. there's no more. <laughs> so when you were finally done with the movie and you started sending it out to people, did you, did you feel pretty confident about what you made? Or I mean, did you have a sense for how people were going to react to it, given that it's, you know, it's so hard to describe to people exactly what it's like to watch this thing? I think the reaction has been kind of beyond our wildest dreams. It's been absolutely wonderful. You got to give me more than that. <laughs> I mean, what, what did you expect when you were working on this project in terms of what, what we, people were going to see? I had no idea. Um, for me, I needed to stay very close to the project. It's such a huge undertaking that I chose to, to try not to watch it in its entirety any more than I had to. And, to stay very close, so like I just didn't get overwhelmed, and and you work on something for that long, it's just it's very easy. You, you don't even know if it's good anymore sometimes, and I'm, you know, I I'm very lucky to have a team that was yeah. so 
completely believed in the film. Um, we were all kind of keeping each other moving uh, throughout the process. It was a long thing, you know, and, and so there were different stages, like, like, uh, oh, great, like, Kyle, Kyle will produce it. Like, okay, great. It must be and good. Then, and then, um, then when the cast came, then, it, then, it, for, then for me it was like, oh, other people might see this movie, you know? Um, and then, then that was like, well, guess we'll just keep making the same thing, you know? And, and then, um, and then it, it's, it's cool to see it play at a theater. I never thought it would really play in a, on a theater screen. The, and it was, it was more focused on like, uh, can we actually like make, make it um, than any expectation past that. Yeah, there really were conversations sitting at the kitchen table being like, you know this might never see the light of day. <laughs> like we might release this on the internet for like 50 cents a copy if we're lucky. Um, so. Were there any uh, crazy disaster moments, you know, noticing uh, something you scanned was torn in two or something like that? Uh, about a year into the process, we lost, um, through just like a copy-paste error, like, I don't know, a a, yeah, like 15 minutes of it, <laughs> it was kind of devastating. Um, but it all existed as... But you know that that'll show you. That's a good um, example of why very little was done on the computer because it was lost, but we still had all of the, the elements. So, fans, and so it was just rebuilt. it was very easy to rebuild it. Yeah. Um, that was the thing. The thing that pops into my head, not really as a mistake, but there's a lot of cat hairs in the movie because <laughs> that's what I was going to We had too. cat. Because nobody the was indexing bag. the scanner. It's awesome. It's my favorite part about the movie. Which is that's like one of the great things about the, my experience with this process was that. There was so much was that like, they just rolled with the punches. It's like, there's cat hairs on that image you just scanned. And they're like, oh, I don't know. Next scene, I don't know. You got to freeze the movie to, to really see it. You don't it. really even no. have to. No. Yeah. There's yeah. a lot of background paintings. Like, sometimes I was like, but oh, that must be like a paintbrush, like, uh, you know, a piece of hair from the paintbrush. <laughs> I was like, no. But I you saw it, it's like, oh, it's like, a, there's a hair in the gate or whatever. Yeah, right. If that was like a live action film, it would have been digitally removed, but it, yeah, it just yeah. became the sort of. I mean, I don't we know. did digitally remove a lot of cats, oh. a lot of stuff from, but I mean. The, we, the, the, we weren't sweating the small yeah. things, like, but that was part of the fun of it. I think. It was, yeah. It was only was when it was like super of, distracting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, what, what audience do you see for a movie like this? I mean, you must have been thinking about certain kinds of things. People have thrown around names like John Hughes when they refer to it, but they also talk about, you know, Adult Swim animation. And there are audiences for those kinds of things, but they're usually different audiences. Um, I, I wonder, I, of course, I wonder about that. Um, the, uh, yeah, like part of me is like, oh, this movie's for for like fifteen-year-old nerds who are into drawing and painting, and um, and maybe it is for them. But we didn't really try to find a bunch of those people and like screen it for them and ask them what they thought about it. And then I wonder, well, it was made maybe it was just made for myself. Like I wanted to make it, but then it was too much work to do. It it, it was not a lot of fun you know, to do, do a lot of these drawings. And like, there must have been something really that I really wanted to participate in. And I think, I think it was made for it to, to be a contribution to that kind of limited animation branch. Um, but people, uh, well, Kyle would say everyone would like this movie, right? That's, what I, that's why I got, yeah, I still think that. Like, I don't know. I mean, I think of it as like, uh, and we talk about this, is like, I just think of it as a really fun, indie comedy or something. I mean, it happens to be animated, but I mean, this is the kind of thing for me, it's like, the, if this was out in theaters, I don't think there'd be anything else like it, you know, that you could go see that weekend. And that for me is, is super exciting. Like those are the kinds of movies I see is the sort of the thing that sticks out, uh, whatever that might be. And I don't yeah, know. I, don't, I, mean, I, don't, I mean, John Hughes, I know, but I didn't, I didn't think of the, you know, I, n I never thought about him really when I was working. I don't remember thinking about him. And, uh, and like the Adult Swim world, in my mind, the, the humor is a, a m not as, it's a, a little more, uh, not, there's a sweetness in this movie that I don't think uh, I associate with Adult Swim. Um, and there's also kind of a more formal, like, 
um, aspect to it, the color and, and like, so I didn't, uh, there definitely wasn't like a, a um, I didn't think it would fit into any particular slot like that. But that also wasn't like a motivating factor. I mean, we weren't making decisions based on, oh, what's the audience? Th the audience we're making this for won't dig this, so we can't do that. It was more of just like, it was very intuitive for what I think Dash and Jane just felt. Try to, just try to finish. And just to have fun, I think, was. Yeah. Better to do something people have never seen before than trying to replicate something else, obviously. Although, having looked at, um, your earlier work in, in the comics, it does feel like a natural outgrowth. I mean, a lot of your, your comics are, you've experimented with tone and, and you've done more serious stories, kind of sillier stories, but there, there's a certain consistency. And, I, and one of the things I'm curious about is what you're seeing is different, uh, difference between those two worlds. I mean, they're, they're kind of like two different subcultures and, and two oh. different you know, creative processes. So. Um, the, um, the mediums or the industry, so you're both. Yeah, let's start with the kind of the industry side. Oh. Um, well, the first thing that pops into my head is that the comics, my section, my, whatever part I'm in in the comics industry is very small. Um, there's comics is small, and then, and then a lot of people will call art comics is even smaller. And then a lot of people don't, I don't think, know what a, a good comic is. And uh, maybe you'd have to, you'd have to be, grow up reading them and then like, I don't think very many people can see that like Roy Crane by Buzz Sawyer is like a masterpiece, uh, you know. But, on the other, but in movies, every single person thinks they know their opinion is the right one with movies. And average, Average person on the street will be like, that movie sucked. That movie was great. You know, everyone's very confident in their opinion of movies where it, in comics, especially unusual comics, I think m people don't read them or, or don't know what, what to think about them, you know, how they feel about them. Um, you know, I, I, there was a TIFF, TIFF screening of uh, a, P a press and industry screening of High School Sinking and Kyle told me 90 people went to it. And I thought, oh my god, 90 people saw this movie on a screen? And it was like, nine, I couldn't find nine people who would like be really interested, to, interested enough to write about an art comic. You know, it's a very um, small... And, and, and I always thought that, that if more... If, I think those unusual comics really have something special to offer, but um, you'd have to have an unusual life path to maybe be, to, to tune into them, you know. Uh, that's, I think, a big industry difference. Jane, um, anything you want to add to that? Um, I mean, my, my knowledge of the comic industry is really uh, like one step removed watching Dash do um, industry things, and what I just would reiterate is how small it is. I mean, you have, you go to one comic convention and you meet everyone that's there, and the second one has the same population. You're same really, person talking to you. Yep. <laughs> you're see, it, it's very, very small, and so it's very close-knit, and everybody's like working with each other. Um, and I think that does breed like a respect that has come over into Dash's, uh, the way there he is brought a, his artists. There is something that if you're a super, you know, there are cartoonists that are working at a very high level that are, and it's all completely self-motivated really. And, uh, and there is something cool I, about being completely devoted to this medium that has a very small readership, but knowing that you're like, at the top of that media, you know what I mean? Like there, that, that other people, you have to be a little, there's a reason why a lot of comic artists are crazy people, you know? They, it's, there's, you, you, a sane person would drop out at a certain point, you know? Um, that's really true. I've met a lot of the g great cartoonists and there, there's always something and off I do, with them. I do think if you had not come from comics, which is not a, an industry that makes a lot of money, it, it, that you have to be, I need to make this thing, so I'm going to make this thing. I don't know if you would have dived in to make High School Sinking without financing. That you, I think a lot of people... Maybe would have assumed that. Or just to illustrate that point, it's like the irony, and I don't, but it, like, 
sort of what you've been living off of the past couple of years is, is the options, movie TV options of your previous comic books, which haven't even been made yet. Yeah. So the comic books value in the other, in the film industry, even though they haven't even materialized in, any, in anything, is still overwhelmingly greater than what they are in their own or industry in their original form. And that's yeah, the like sort of weird irony. David, David Goyer, the Batman versus Superman writer, he optioned Doctors, which is a book I did, which is... That's someone laughing. Is that Amy? Yes. <laughs> Uh, she can't get over that one. Um, you know, which is like a kind of semi-experimental book, you know? Um, so, so, and that money basically went to us making high school sinking. Yeah. So, so your Batman versus Superman money paid for this movie. <laughs> Thank you for seeing it. Uh, the, but the, uh, the medium, um, the, the medium though, the, should I keep answering the medium question? <laughs> um, the, you know, comics, I feel like are, are about like s simultaneity and juxtaposition and still pictures and they're collage-like. And movies, I feel like, when I started making this, I thought were, I, were um, a visual medium. Like I'd heard someone say that at some point and I thought it was true. And so I thought that visuals could carry more of a movie when I started this than when I was working on it. I realized that, that like a music video can, can look super cool, but then you'll be bored 30 seconds in. And I, I think there's something that it's like a control of time, that time is more important in mo movies, maybe, or order of events, um, that, that the vi that the visuals won't carry it so far. Um, that was something, uh, you know, and obviously books don't have time. You, 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 the reader controls the time. Right, it's, it's interesting to bring that up to just in terms of, you know, where your preferences are. And before we take a couple questions from the audience, I wanted to ask you about, you know, where you see your priorities at this point. I mean, certainly there are uh, examples of people who have worked in, in graphic novels and found their way into the filmmaking side of things. Dan Klaus has been writing screenplays and things like that, but still primarily identifies as a cartoonist. Where would you say you find yourself at this point? I mean, are you, are you a filmmaker now, or is this still a blurry line? Um, I'd like to just make another movie that is also in this um, that looks different than this movie, but is in the same zone of limited animation. So I, th I think uh, um, that, that there's more to do inside of this. So that's my goal, to make a, I'm working on another graphic novel and another movie. Um, I do think you, you will probably continue to make short stories and, and comics, though um, we've talked about how that's a, it's an integral part of, of his creative process to like try out new ideas in, in that, which is a much more forgiving format than a movie, which takes many years to do. Right. Sounds like um, a healthy more, The immediacy is, I think, very good for Dash as a writer and as an artist. Seeing results. So let's uh, take some questions from the audience. Just uh, shoot your hand in the air when you have one and make sure to wait for the microphone when it gets to you. We talked about a lot of stuff, but I'm sure there are some other questions from people out there that we haven't touched on. Anyone? I know it was comprehensive, but there's more. Can you just wait for the microphone, please, because they record it. Sorry. We need waiting music or something. On the simplest level, where do, you, where do you live? I mean, do you live in the city, out in the boondocks? I mean, does that influence your state of mind? Um, your wife's state of mind? We, um, we lived in Brooklyn for many years, but then we just left, and now we live in Richmond, Virginia. Um, I would say, well, I really loved working uh, in Brooklyn. Um, we were in kind of a confined space. We were both living and working in the same space. And I think that was something that was kind of difficult for Dash to to center himself, but I always loved the immediacy of being able to like literally turn around and, or at any hour of the day, be able to say, oh, I, I finally have come up with a solution for this problem. Um, but, you know, it's, 
every every creative process needs space. So I, I think that that will be helpful. I felt well. like my brain was going to explode <laughs> living in Brooklyn. Like, did, did you make all your books? Was the very first book in New York? Everything was in New York. No, no. Um, Bottomless belly been, button was. I think I drew that in Richmond before, and uh, um, I think the crowd. Something the crowd started bothering me in New York. I couldn't afford the to have enough space. Um, I had a fellowship at the New York Public Library for a year, and that helped me. I got I got to get up and go. It helped me because I had my own office, my own space. Um, but then I was commuting to Midtown you know, at 9 a.m. and leaving at 6 p.m. with the masses. And it was, it painted a horrible picture of humanity doing that for a year. Yeah. It sounds like you got your creative juices flowing one level or another. I thought I have to, at the end of it, I was like, I have to get out of this place. Yeah. Maybe I mean, I like New I, um, I don't know. There's a lot of things I like about New York, but... You may as well acknowledge also that you went to school in the city, yeah. School of Visual Arts. You want mm-hmm. maybe give us a little bit of background about how that sort of set you on this path? Because I think it has some connection to to the movie being here, doesn't it? Oh, um, yeah. At uh, um, at SVA, I had I took I worked I was a um, a cartoon cartooning major, and so. Uh, I met a lot of people who were very, who are like my favorite artists, like Gary Panter and David Mazzucchelli, um, uh, James McMullen. Um, and I also worked at the SVA Film Library. And so I was in charge of uh, getting the films to different classes. And um, so I was kind of, I would watch a lot of movies and I took some film classes and I also took Amy Taubin's class. Um, and, uh, and she was a programmer here, and, and so um, I really liked her class, and um, I, you know, I, really, I got a lot of, out of SBA. What was that class? I think, I, I think the class I took was women in film. Is that right, Amy? Yeah, you didn't take the experimental class. I didn't take the experimental class. It's not too late. <laughs> you can take some more questions from the crowd. Yeah, over here. I was wondering, um, are you approaching the next film project the same way that you did this other project? And also, if you could talk about working with the actors. Oh yeah. Um, the the next one, I w- I'm trying to do it in a similar way. I have some like formal goals, or um, I have a script, and now I'm storyboarding it. And one of the goals is. Um, to to have the to try to record the actors before I before I really start drawing the movie and use more of maybe the way the actors look in in the movie and so I, but I still want to have an animatic of the movie so one goal is to make an animatic before I go to actors um, and uh, and but not just record audio you visually film them right. Yes, yes. It's a visual reference, not just yeah. audio. Yeah, before... Which would be a major th- this, difference. This movie, there was... Um, we didn't record the actors like with a camera. It was just their voices. It was just sound. Another one is so much of this movie is the, uh, the black line wobbling. Um, and I want the next one to be more like uh, painted pieces. Um, like there's a Boy Scout flashback sequence in this movie. And, and I think that it would be cool if it was just all, it did not have that black line. And it, and it suits this story, the next story better, which the next story is about um, a zoo of mythological creatures. Uh, so I, I want it to be like painted, kind of um, these painted creatures and more maybe like stop motion animation in that we're turning uh, the uh, you know the wings of a griffin or something is is like unfolding in its separate pieces. Um, the, uh, but I but um, you know I want it. I I'm trying to kind of just build on go build on um, skills or hopefully get better at things that were on this this movie. And uh, um, what was working with the actors? Yeah. Um, uh, how did I work with the actors? Maybe. 
What's what, that the, the question? question? Yeah, what, what was it like? Because you had, didn't really have experience. Yeah. Oh. Um, it was great. It was. I. They were recorded. I guess the main the main thing is they all kind of got the sensibility of the movie. So there, you know, I'd known a lot of them before. Um, and then this movie has something that's kind of like I associate with comics in that there's a dissonance between what the pe people are saying and what we're seeing. And that's, I think of a as a thing, and one of the many things that's being brought over from comics, like Dan Klaus is a good example where the words are kind of an interior world and then the, the drawings are the exterior world or, or Raymond Pettibone is like the, the what makes those pieces interesting is the, how the text and picture relate or don't relate or um, so, so, I, so it is weird that the, in this movie this school is sinking and all of these strange things are happening but the people stay talking about school and, and writing and, and um, but that, that, uh, that dissonance was, is kind of a main element of the movie and it's helped by the fact that uh, they're being in a, recorded in a studio and like, like that closet scene that we just saw was um, Jason Schwartzman, Reggie Watts, and Maya Rudolph. And uh, so one session would be Maya and Reggie and I would play Jason's parts and then the next session would be um, Jason and Reggie and I'd play Maya's parts and then we'd collage it together, collage the audio tracks to make the scene and then like a year later we would need something and try to get them to to grab a microphone and, and say it and place it where it needed to go. Um, there was no, uh, yeah, it was, it was really interesting. So one other thing I wanted to ask you about is your take on the contemporary animation scene in general. Do you watch a lot of new stuff? Do you pay attention to what the studios are doing versus the indie stuff, which is mostly shorts? Um, I, I guess I don't pay that much attention to it. I really, I, uh, in my mind, the exciting things are happening in alternative comics. Um, and I really love that world and, and what is happening there. Um, you know, the animations that I like are really like, I love Susan Pitt's Asparagus. That's from like 1970. I like, um, I like Fantastic Planet, you know? I like, uh, they're not, um, I, I like, yeah, I watch those cartoons over and over again. I, I, um, there's, I, per, I just like that zone. I don't know, uh, don't, I don't, we don't have TV or we don't watch TV shows. No pressure to start now, right? I know everyone says they're the best thing, but you know, you find what you like, I don't know, I find what I like and I just rather watch Johnny Quest or something. In between spending six years making a movie. So. I get a lot out of the, um, I really do, I love animation, but it's really like kind of specific animations that I like and, it, that, and, it, and I don't like follow any new animation shows. Yeah. I mean, I think what we both really respond to is, is in the older stuff you still really see the hand and there's such a push for like the professionalism and most of what's easy to access. I wouldn't and say that because we don't even know. We don't even watch them. I don't, I don't think we should diss them. Okay. The rumor they're probably great. They're they probably are great. <laughs> they're probably great. I have a lot of friends who work on, um, on Cartoon Network shows, and I see there's, and I like their comics. A lot of great cartoonists work on those shows. That's true. Um, I do like adventure too. Um, but, but I just, I don't know. I like, I like watching Astro Boy. Well, maybe next time, for your, when you may have you here for your next film, you'll have caught up with a few of their shows. and. We can revisit that question. You guys, you, there's enough people to talk about with TV shows. We want to get into it now. <laughs> talk to anyone here about a TV show. Um, I think we have time for maybe one more question, if there's any others. Yeah. My question is, uh, with the things that happen by accident, 
with the cat hairs and things like that. Did you find that you found the beauty in the film in those accidental things and it makes it a little bit more Indian, a little bit more fun and it's a little bit more niche for those audiences that enjoy those funny little quirky things about your film that make it more fun? I get the correct answer has to be yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, uh, there's a particular kind of happy accident that happens in the film that I've always been fascinated by. Um, especially when you're taking geometric forms and doing things like spinning them or sliding them, you can create these like really amazing uh, phantom effects. Um, kind of, I think the most famous one is called a moria, where you have like very thin lines and they slide across and you get like a, a flicker. And that's always been an effect that's just completely fascinated me. And so I was really excited. Um, uh, there's a sequence where there's um, a halftone pattern that spins, and it creates all of these lines that just aren't there in the original. And I just, I love that so much. Um, and that was something I was really enthusiastic about in the film. Happy, I think it comes from, draw from drawing, you know, like, uh, that that um, maybe your hand likes to make a certain kind of mark for whatever reason, and so that ends up being your style. And, uh, and so you could try to fight that style or try to develop it into something. Um, I, yeah, I think that, come, that ha you know, like, uh, the, like there's, there's like chemical spills in like Sigmar Polke paintings, you know, that are beautiful, that are like all accident, sort of. Um, liquid light effects are m maybe could be good. It, it, uh, it depends how you would define accident. Now everybody has to watch the movie and count how many cat hairs they can see in every scene. <laughs> that is the game's drinking game. Thank you for being here, guys. It's a lot of fun. The close-up from the Film Society of Lincoln Center is produced by Michael Odemark. Our opening music is by Steelism. You can subscribe to The Close-Up on iTunes and Stitcher. The Film Society of Lincoln Center is a nonprofit arts organization based in New York City, supported by individuals just like you. Founded in 1969 to celebrate American and international cinema, the Film Society presents year-round programming recognizing established and emerging filmmakers, supporting important new work, and enhancing awareness, accessibility, and understanding of the moving image. To learn more about what we do and support the Film Society by becoming a member, visit filmlink.org, F-I-L-M-L-A-N-C.org. The Film Society of Lincoln Center. Film lives here. <laughs>